All right. Well, I need to make a confession to you right out of the, the box here. Um, I think it's finally going to come back to haunt me, uh, not coming into the 21st century and all of the technology and everything. Uh, but a good leader surrounds himself with good people. And so I want to thank all of those who have helped put this service together and are helping us with other technological things. Um, you know, the music uh, for Rebecca and Heather and, and, and Paul on the sound and Ben Cady running the camera and the PowerPoint and especially my secretary, Lauren, uh, who is uh, putting all of this together and, and getting it posted. I, I certainly do appreciate it. Um, maybe if we do this long enough, we'll put together a little blooper tape for you, you know, at the end when we kind of get through this uh, to let you know some of the things that have taken place. Well, I might be, um, might be dating myself here. Uh, but you remember country western singer Glenn Campbell? Uh, years ago, in 1967, he cut a hit record that was entitled Gentle on My Mind. Now, it's a story about a man who longs to be free. He wants a life that is uncluttered with contracts and, and commitments. He's satisfied to stop off a night or two, but he doesn't want anyone to hassle him or talk about a permanent relationship. It's enough for him to know that the door is always open and the path is free to walk. That's sufficient for him. He mentions again and again throughout the song the back roads of my memory that keep things gentle on my mind. Looking over his shoulder with a superficial shrug, this playboy cowboy refuses all attempts other make to tie him down not even a wife and a household full of kids. His kids can anchor him down because that just wouldn't be gentle. He's on a search for another path, another pleasure, another road that will somehow bring him satisfaction. And all along you get the distinct impression that he will never find what he is looking for. Well, whether it's in a song that we like to sing or a book that we like to read, many of us have entertained thoughts of pursuing a few of these back roads of our mind. Now, for most of us, those thoughts have remained in the rivers of our mind. Such journeys usually seem better in a dream than they do in reality. Nevertheless, deep in the back roads of our mind, we think that somehow a fantasy journey, you know, somehow that that will bring us some satisfaction. If these situations can, can just change, you know, solve my problem, throw, throw caution to the wind. Well, there once lived a man who had the time, he had the money, and he had all of the authority to be able to take such a journey. Not in the back roads of his mind, but in actual life itself. This man was free to walk. No one was able to constrain him or tell him what he could or couldn't do. And he held absolutely nothing back. But thankfully, he kept an accurate journal of his journey, which is available for all of us to read so that we can learn, so that we can study, that we can experience. And God used this man's experience to inspire it and include it in the word of God so that you and I can learn. Now this man's name was Solomon. He is the third king of Israel. 
His father was David, and we remember David, the great military man. Under David's rule, all of the borders were secure. So when his son Solomon took the throne, for 40 years, Solomon would reign in total peace. He didn't have to worry about wars. You know, he could, he could put his mind to, to other things. The journal that he kept is the book that the Bible calls Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to ask you, if you have it there, to turn there. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series. And I know we don't go to the book of Ecclesiastes a lot, so, you know, to find it, you've got Psalms, you've got Proverbs, and then you have Ecclesiastes, and you're right there. So while you're turning there to chapter 1, Ecclesiastes, uh, the Hebrew word for Ecclesiastes, it means preacher or one who addresses an assembly. Now, if the word Ecclesiastes means someone addressing an assembly, I don't know what the Hebrew word is for a man who stands up and addresses empty pews, but I'm sure some of you out there will uh, figure out a term for that. Um, in this book, Solomon speaks to all of us about life, and he uses, he's relating a life, a journey that he went on. But it is interesting that how he did this writing. Um, unlike most journals or, or books that kind of build to a climactic end, Solomon actually opens by re recording the conclusion of his journey. He says in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He says it's empty. It's hollow. It's, it, it's zero. It, it, it's zilch. This is the way Solomon felt before his journey. This is the way he felt while he was in the midst of his journey. And this is the way he felt when he came to the end of his journey. Nothing satisfied. There was nothing he saw, nothing he did, nothing he experienced, nothing he discovered that resulted in giving him any lasting or significant personal satisfaction. I think, whoa. I mean, that, that's quite a bold statement there. Well, before we accept Solomon's summation of, of life, we need to ask the question of why. Why did he come to, to this conclusion? Why after... You know, all that the king of Israel did, why was it pointless? Why was it empty? Why wouldn't the man who was king, who had unfathomable riches, an endless supply of financial resources, everything was at his fingertips? Why couldn't this man find something? Why couldn't he find anything that would have purpose? Well, I think that's a question that we probably can all ask ourselves. You know, we often think if we can just get that promotion, if I can just get that raise or, the, or that, that position, or if I can just find that, that right relationship or get that, you know, new toy that, you know, it, it's going to bring me peace. It's going to bring me satisfaction. Why did Solomon find that it didn't? Well, it comes from Solomon's perspective. The same perspective that most people, I think, have today. To quote Solomon, it is an under-the-sun perspective. Look at verse 3. He says, What advantage does man have in all his works, which he does under 
the sun. Now that is a term he's talking about. His, his vision is horizontal here. He's talking there about a strictly human viewpoint. You know, saying under the sun, it's a fancy, you know, poetic way of saying, you know, this life, that, that this physical life should give us. And in almost every section of this journal, Solomon uses the words under the sun or under heaven. So you say, well, then why the emptiness? Well, it's because Solomon very rarely looked above the sun to find reassurance. He never looks up. He's always looking out at the world, at the physical things to meet his happiness. He never stopped to look up to God. And we, when he left God out of the picture, nothing satisfied. And it never will. Satisfaction in life under the sun will never occur until there is a meaningful connection to the living Lord above the sun. Nevertheless, we continue to try, we continue to pursue, you know, continue to hope and, and, and just think that if I just reach, you know, the, the, the brass ring here, that, that then, then it'll be better. Boy, if you want to talk about a relevant book today, I mean, our society is woven through these pages. I mean, when faced with the deadlines and commitments and responsibilities, you know, there is always this side of us that just wants to run away and do something else or leave it and go pursue, you know, some, some dream. It's not worth it. You know, throw in the towel. We yearn to be free. We tr- yearn to travel down one of those, those carefree roads. And all around us, and even some of us, are buying into this empty, horizontal perspective and approach to life. That somehow this, you know, this, the flesh, the blood, the, the physical, that that can bring us happiness, that that can give us purpose, that that can give us fulfillment. Now, we, before we go forward in these next weeks and we dig into the specifics of this book, I want to take our time this morning and give us a quick overview of the whole book. You know, the subjects that Solomon touches on and even, you know, some of the deeper conclusions that he came to. So the first stop of Solomon's unrestrained journey came in the form of hedonism. Okay, hedonism, it's a term that means pleasure at all cost. And chapter 2 records, you know, so many of the things that he tried. We're not going to read all of it, but he talks about laughter, sex, entertainment, ego-building projects. In verse 4, he said, "I, I enlarged my works, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself. He tried art collections, he tried fun trips, serious work, you know, so many of the arts, singing. And all of these things blew up in his face. Everything he tried, zero. I mean, read his conclusion of, of as he's kind of first looking at hedonism, you know, the, the pleasure at all costs. He comes to the conclusion towards the end of chapter 7. In verse 11, it says this. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. He would move into verse 17 and says, So I hated life 
for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me because everything is futility and striving after the wind. I mean, you talk about getting a two-by-four upside the head of reality. When he came to the end, he found that none of these things, none of these physical things satisfied. Next, he begins to talk about um, trying philosophy. We might talk about the isms here. He talked about fatalism and, and humanism. You know, try to reason your way through life, looking for, for promise and purpose by, by discerning why are we here? You know, what, what is the very purpose of, of, of my existence? And again, the conclusion that he came to that, <coughs> excuse me, I'll read from verse 18. He said, I said to myself concerning the sons of men that God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. For the fate of the sons of the man and the fate of the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beast, for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust. All return to dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of beast descends downward to the earth? I mean, this conclusion should not surprise us coming from a man whose perspective was 100% horizontal, 100% looking towards man for fulfillment. I mean, as he came to the place to say, what is our purpose here? Why were, why were we born here? You know, he's tried to reason his way through it. And when he left God out, I mean, his basic conclusion is, we're no different than the animals. We're no different than the beasts. They're born, they live, they die. We might occupy ourselves with some different things, but basically, you know, we're here, and then we're gone. You know, what's our purpose? Why am I here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever felt like that? God, why am I here? Well, since none of that worked, perhaps the answer would rest in financial gain. You know, assess an, uh, an enormous amount of money. But as we get to chapter 5, again, he gives us a quick conclusion of how that pursuit went. In verse 10, he said, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owner except to, to look on them? Well, maybe money won't do it. Maybe the green stuff won't satisfy. But how about gaining some material, amassing material you know, wealth, the things that we have? Chapter 6. Verse 7, here's the conclusion of that. All men's labor is for his mouth, and yet his appetite, it is not satisfied. Verse 12, for who knows what is good for man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? I mean, what a realistic summation of the, the many people that are just grinding out in existence today. I mean, did you, did you catch that phrase he talked about meaningless days that we spend as a shadow? Meaningless days we spend as a shadow. You know, the short years of, of, of futile life. You know, you know I turned 60 this year. And, folks, I look back and, 
And I mean, I think back, you know, in my teen years, in my 20s, Uri's marriage, and, and having kids, even in my 30s, you know, it seemed like I had so much life ahead of me. But man, I'm 60, and I look back, and, and this is never going to be regained. You know, life just continues to move. Time continues to move on. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? And this is the story of many. Nothing ultimately brings satisfaction if it is limited to under the sun. If what we is, are doing here today, you know, is for the physical, then it's useless. Horizontal happiness is all that's going to last. Not that, or excuse me, horizontal happiness won't last. You know, that mountain that you climb, you know, might give you a, a high while you're climbing and really feel, you know, that adrenaline rush, but you get to the top, and, and the view is never what it was cut out to be, and you just got to look for another mountain and, and another thing to conquer. And over and over, this, this endless cycle. Well, this is the whole point of Solomon's journal. That's what makes this book so relevant to us today. Because you could change the names, you could change the geography, you can change the year, the culture, and you've got us today, you've got the United States today in living colors. And the deeper you get into the book, it only intensifies this truth, and we're going to be getting uh, deep into this book over the next months. And actually, not until you arrive at the very end of his pursuit does Solomon finally turn the corner. You know, literally, the, the brakes on that sports car suddenly come to a screeching halt. That fast lane, fast-paced playboy, you know, he, he jumps out of the car, he slams the door, and as he comes to the end of the book, I mean, it is so direct. It's like he is looking his reader in the eye, and in a thundering voice, it almost says, you want to know what meaning is? Are you looking for purpose? Are you looking for an investment that will yield lasting dividends, something that can really fill that void in your life? Do you want some real satisfaction? He, he spares no words. He says, wake up, wise up. He says, I can tell you for a fact that in order for horizontal life to, to, to make any sense, it is absolutely essential for you to get your vertical life in line and to get it in place. Money, fun, entertainment, those things aren't bad. But if they are lived for man, then the conclusion of the matter, it just comes to an end, and it's vanity. He urges the reader by the end of the book not to waste a lot of time on, on, on futile searches. You know, literally almost saying like I have done, he says. But while we are in the prime of our life, as early as we can, he talks about a securing a relationship with the living Lord. Listen to his vice. His vice. We'll start in chapter 11 and verse 7 and we'll go into to chapter 12. He says, The light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, in a, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let him remember the days of darkness for there will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know, catch this, yet know that God will bring you to judgment 
for all of these things. That one day, we will all stand before an almighty God. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because, chi- because childhood and the prime of life, they're fleeting. Verse 1, next chapter, he says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you say, I have no delight in them. And finally, at the end of chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, he says, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That truth that we will all stand before an almighty God, the judgment of God, that in the end, what I do here and my relationship with the almighty creator through his son, Jesus Christ, it will make a difference in my life. It'll put everything in perspective. And that is what Solomon found out, found out, and that's what we over the next few months are going to be digging into and talking about uh, quite extensively. <coughs> Excuse me. Before we close, I want to share three very practical conclusions of this book that kind of run parallel to all of our lives today. Okay, three practical things. Number one, the lures of a better tomorrow rob us of the joy that is offered today. And I want to read that for you again. The lures of a better tomorrow rob us of the joy that is offered today. Living in the future, that when I get this, when, when this changes, when this happens, living in the future, what, what may be and what we hope will happen, it drains the joy today that God is bringing in our life and wants us to have today. The second thing, we need to be careful. The personal temptation to escape is always stronger than the realization of its consequences. The temptation to escape is always stronger than the realization of its consequences. Temptation is going to be packaged in pretty ribbons and bows. It's going to be served to you on a platter. But its consequences are hidden and they are high. I don't know how many men that I have talked to over the 37 years of my ministry that have talked with regrets about how early in their life when, when Solomon is saying, you know, remember God, remember Christ early on in your life. But they didn't. They poured themselves into work. They poured themselves into getting ahead, into to making more money. And now they look back at their life of a relationship with Christ that is weak, you know, a lack of relationship and and times that they miss with your wife and and their children. Sure, the promises of all those extra hours, that all that extra money, it seemed good, but its consequences were hidden. And the consequences, the price are often high. We need to remember that. The third thing, the final destination, if God is absent from the scene, will not bring us satisfaction. The final destination, if God is absent from the scene, will not bring us satisfaction. We can seek, we can try, we may find temporary satisfaction in the pursuit, but in the end, there is going to be an emptiness, and we're going to talk a lot about that 
over the next month. The good life, the, the one that really satisfies, exists only when we stop wanting a better one and we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things are added unto us. All these things then begin to, to make a sense and we can have a joy in the midst of all these things. It's a condition of savoring what is rather than longing for you know, something else. God can give us that satisfaction. That itch for things, that lust for more, it's a virus that is literally draining our souls of contentment. I mean, you remember, you know, the, the, the verse we, we quote quite often, that godliness with contentment is what? It's great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. And if you haven't noticed, if you are living an under-the-sun life, if you are living right now and, and thinking that something out here is going to solve what's going on in here, you are sure, sure going to find out that a man never earns enough. A woman is never beautiful enough. Clothes are never fashionable enough. Cars are never nice enough. Relationships are never romantic, fulfilling enough. Life is never full enough. Folks, satisfaction comes when we step off the escalator of desire and we say, this is enough. What I have will do. What I make of it is up to me and my vital union with the living Savior, Jesus Christ, and my relationship with him. Yes, I'll work hard. And in that hard work, you know, I may make more money. We may be able to have some things. But it's that perspective to say that these will always be things. My life, my happiness, my true happiness being better or worse is not tied to what I own, but it is tied to the God whom I serve. It is tied to the one who owns me. Let's pray. Father, I, I just confess to you that from the very outset that uh, this, this truth, your word, hits very close to home. My life. It's easy to get away. It's easy to, to get caught up in the current of our culture. And I'm just going to ask you to search our hearts right now. You know, we don't have to, to wait till we get deep in the book. Right now, Father, you know, we can get our perspective upon you. We can start looking above the sun. We can start looking into heaven instead of under heaven. And I pray that you will work in each of our hearts in those areas that we need to, to put you first. I'm excited, Father, you know, for what's ahead of us. Because there's going to be a lot of hard decisions and corrections in my life. God, I'm excited because I know that you only want the best. You want the fulfillment in my life. You want me to have the true joy and purpose. And so I willingly give myself to your word and what you're going to do. We thank you in thy son's name we pray. Amen. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus.
be king.